0: For those uh, people that are mentioned, if you have their contact information and can shoot them a text, why don't you do that right now? Just take a moment. If you can send Diana or Mama Lou or um, Beth or Charlie or Melissa, just take out your phone, shoot them a text real quick and say, your church family just prayed for you. And I think it might bless them to get just text after text after text from their church family. So, do that real quick and then put it on silent and put it away. Okay, unless you're using it. That way those people that we prayed for don't have to assume we prayed for them. They'll know it. They'll know it, and we'll use that technology for the glory of God for a change. It's used for a lot of ungodly things. Let's use it for godly things now. So just take a moment, do that. And thank you for doing that, by the way. And I pray their phones blow up right now with love. Yeah. And whenever you get ready, you can turn to the book of Exodus and go to uh, chapter 2. And we'll pick up in just a second, and we'll head right into it. Exodus chapter 2. We're ready? Okay, let's uh, read our scripture. We're in Exodus chapter 2, and we're going to go from verse 23 all the way down to... uh, it just short into a short few verses into the third chapter to kind of get the whole flow of all of this. This was uh, something I started working on last Sunday afternoon. And uh, I started looking at to see some things that different commentators have to say. Uh, I usually do that as a last resort. I go through the scripture. I make observations about it. I try to define words and get the context of what the uh, writer is saying and what the original readers would have understood and uh, then as a last resort I will go to some commentaries to see if I'm off base or not because okay? I figure if I'm coming up with something nobody else has seen in 2000 years that's probably not good okay so just to kind of check it out you know what I found out nobody dealt with these passages they went right on to chapter 3 in the burning bush so I started to say, okay, Lord, if they can, then I can too, right? And then I felt this pang of conviction. I believe that the Bible, every word of it, is inspired by God. Second Timothy 3.16 says that every word is not only inspired, but it's profitable. And so I couldn't just pass it by. So this is one of those that you kind of look, you read, you read, you read, you read, you read, you pray, read, pray, think, think, pray, think, all of those kind of things. And God gave me a word this morning because I think that there are any number of people that come to our church or any church... And they feel like, well, I ought to come to church, but I don't feel close to God. In fact, the truth of the matter is, I feel like God has forgotten me. I feel like that He has abandoned me. And we're going to find that Moses is in the backside, the King James Version says, the backside of the desert. Now, folks, it's bad to be in the desert. But when you're in the backside of the desert, that's particularly bad. And there he is. He's been uh, raised in Pharaoh's household. He has been schooled in all of the ways of the Egyptians. And because he got a little ahead of what he was supposed to do and did things in his own strength, he has to run for his life. And to go from being in Egypt to being in Midian, sitting by a well, that's quite a change. And then he ends up marrying a girl there in Midian. And now his father-in-law has given him a job... Giving him the best job, I, I guess, I say that facetiously, of watching the sheep. And so Moses watches sheep. I mean, you can do anything for a while. So for the next 40 years, he's going to be watching sheep. Now remember, Moses, being schooled in all the ways of the Egyptians, you remember back in Genesis, it says when Jacob and his family were moving there, it says, For shepherds are an abomination. To the Egyptians. Now, since that is true, that means that Moses is gone from being raised in a palace like a prince, schooled in the way of Egyptians, and now his occupation for 40 years is in a vocation that he, like other Egyptians, would loathe. And Moses. Trying to, in his prime and in his strength and in his wisdom, trying to uh, set things straight. Remember, last week we said he had a strong sense of justice. Whether he was sitting by the well and he saw the shepherds abusing those women, he single handedly dealt with the shepherds and then watered the flocks of those women. One of those he would marry. Powerful man. He also overcame the Egyptian that was beating the Hebrew. Well, I'm assuming if he's beating the Hebrew, he had a weapon. And Moses is still able to overpower him, and it turns into a homicide, and he thinks he's going to get away with it, and he doesn't. He's a powerful man. Now, here's what the Bible is getting ready to tell us in this passage Moses acted, I think, in good faith and with good intentions. It just wasn't God's timing and God's way. He got ahead of God. And guess what it did to the situation of his people that he was trying to help? We're going to find out it actually got worse. And I'm going to make a suggestion to you that anytime you get ahead of God and anytime you do things in your own strength, things aren't going to get better, they're going to get worse. See, they not only got worse for Moses, they got worse for the people, the Hebrews, the people he was trying to help. So think about that. We love people. We want to help people in our family, in our church, outside of our church, in our nation, and in our world. And the worst thing we can do, the worst thing we can do is to try to do the right thing in the wrong way. To try to do the right thing in our own strength. The arm of flesh will fail you, the old hymn says. And that's 100% of the time. Because Jesus said, apart from me... You're not going to be very good at what you do. Is that what he said? Apart from me, it's going to be more difficult for you to get things done. Is that what he said? Apart from me, you'll be semi-successful. Is that what he said? I think it says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we don't learn that very well. But you're in good company because Moses was in the same boat that you and I are. We try. And God gives us a vision. God gives us An idea of what it is that he wants to do. And so all of a sudden we're picking up the tools. We're picking up the swords. And we're saying, I can do that. I can do that for you, God. Watch me. I'll get it done. And then we end up in the backside of the desert. We don't know what to do. Well, surely God's going to come through. Can't you imagine Moses in great faith saying, I believe you, Lord. I know your promises you're going to carry through. I'm ready for it today. didn't happen. Okay, Lord, I believe your promises. I'm ready for you to break through today. And it didn't happen today. How many days are in a year? For you mathematicians, how many days are in 40 years? And every day, Moses thinking, today will be the day. But it wasn't. The years passed. The decades passed. And Moses has the boring, abominable job of watching sheep, taking them in a desert place from pasture to pasture, which would be difficult to find, defending the sheep from enemies that might come up, wrestlers who would want to steal them, or wild animals who would want to eat them. And that's his life day after day after day after day. And I'm going to make an assumption that, that by probably 20 years... He's probably lost hope. He's probably just going through the motions, going through day after day after day after day. And that's where we find Moses in this situation. But listen, it's not just Moses. You know, sometimes we get focused on ourselves when we're going through a trial. Will the grief ever end? Will I ever get that dream job? uh, Is my health ever going to be restored? Are you going to do a work in my marriage, God? And we hang on and we go after day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, maybe even decade after decade. And we wonder, where is God? Has he just forgotten me? Have I gotten so far out of his will that I'm not even in his care anymore? Does he even think about me? Moses didn't have the Psalms that he could read where it says that God's thoughts toward us outnumber the sands of the sea, but Moses didn't have that revelation. All Moses knows is the sheep are hungry, the sheep are thirsty, the sheep are threatened. All he does is day after day. He doesn't know there's going to be a burning bush. He doesn't know anything about any of that until it happens. Just day after day after day. But it wasn't just Moses who was suffering. The whole Hebrew race was suffering in slavery under Pharaoh. Because we're going to see that as we read this scripture, there's a new Pharaoh coming on the scene. And this new Pharaoh is going to actually increase the burdens on the people. Well, there's a good thing to put on your resume. I tried to free and liberate my own people and things got worse. And for 40 years, they're getting worse. And the people of God are crying out under their burdens. And then something amazing happens. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. Now, it happened in the process of time. It's an understatement, a lot of time. That the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of their bondage. And they cried out. It doesn't say who they were crying out to, does it? That's interesting. But nonetheless, whether they were praying to Yahweh God or not, maybe they were just crying out to one another. I don't know. But it says something happened, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac, with Jacob. That was only 400 years ago. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God, my translation says, acknowledged them. Some translations say he knew them. Others say he was concerned for them. This stirs the heart of God. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb. Now this is interesting. The mountain of God. Later it's going to be called Sinai where he was given the Ten Commandments. He was familiar with that wilderness, wasn't he? So here Moses is day after day Same old, same old. The routine of getting the sheep, getting them to pasture, getting them to water, protecting them from anything that might be a threat, getting them down for the night moving from place to place, pasture to pasture. Sheep have a tendency to eat grass all the way down to the roots so that sometimes the grass dies out. So you kind of want to let them graze and let them feed, but not too much, or that pasture will go away, but you have to find another pasture. You have to lead them through the desert to another place, maybe an oasis over here or someplace where there would be some grass. Always on the move, always on the watch, but bored out of your skull. Moses is not getting to use any of his education now. Moses is not using any of the skills that he developed in Egypt. But he is learning how to lead. He's learning how to lead a flock because those slaves are going to kind of be like a flock of sheep. He's going to have to lead them, guide them, protect them, provide for them, make sure they're fed, make sure that they have water, all of those kind of things That is going to have to happen. And God is preparing him for all of this. By putting him in a boring, dry, dull, monotonous place. Until he learns how to be humble before God. Until he learns how to wait upon the Lord. How many verses in the Bible tell us to wait upon the Lord? In fact, we're told that if we wait upon the Lord, our strength will be renewed. Right? Isaiah told us that. And we can mount up with wings as eagles. We can run and not be weary. We can walk and not faint. The psalmist would tell us, wait on the Lord. Even in another way, be still, be still. That's waiting and know that I am God. Moses has to learn this. He has to learn this the hard way. And Moses is a man of action apparently because it took him 40 years to learn the lesson. Doesn't always take 40 years to learn a lesson, but sometimes it does. And because we have an all-knowing God, He knows exactly what kind of trial. He knows exactly what kind of stillness you're going to have to have. For some of you, you're more teachable than others. You respond to the Lord quicker. You're not as stubborn. And your uh, training period doesn't last as long. But for some of us, we're kind of hard-headed. We're kind of thick-headed. And, and uh, you know, every few years, okay, God, I got this. Now let me pick up and go. And the Lord said, no, you still don't have it or you wouldn't be picking up and go. You'd be waiting. (coughs) Hard to wait. took Moses 40 years before he was ready to do what God had created him to do. He's going to be 80 years old when he does this. And he's got another 40 years ahead of him and he never gets to go into the promised land. Why? Because Moses had an anger problem. Moses had a tendency to run ahead of God and he did that even later on when he struck the rock. We'll get to that, you know, in uh, time. But think about that. You know that story. Some of you are like Moses. You're kind of impetuous. You'll wait when you're forced to wait. But as soon as you feel a little bit of freedom, man, you're running ahead running ahead and then you go oh why is this happening again why is this happening again because you're hard-hearted hard-headed stiff-necked and you don't always learn the way that you should and you've got a God who knows that and he just lets you do it because that's part of the learning process isn't it you have to fall in order to learn how to walk Moses is learning all of this kind of stuff that's going on so what do we get out of this when we read this passage Okay, Uh, let let me give you four things to think about. Number one, I want you to think about the fact that God often does His greatest works behind the scenes. What do I mean by that? Well, think about your salvation. When was your name written in the Lamb's book of life, for example? Before the foundation of the world. Did you see that? Did you ask Him to do that? Did God have an audience when he did that? No, he hadn't even created the world yet. Maybe there were angels. We don't know. It might have been before he even created the angels. But none of us saw it. That was a hidden work of God that he is carrying out still today. It didn't happen all at once. I mean, we're 2,000 years away uh, plus from Jesus Christ. Death on the cross and resurrection and ascension, and there's still people being saved. They still haven't all been saved. That's what the process is happening because God did a great work behind the scenes. Think about the coming of the Messiah think about how many people did not notice the birth of Christ think about how many people did not notice his ministry, think about how many people did not receive him the Bible says in the gospel of John as many as received him to them gave he the power to become the sons of God even to those who believe upon his name, well there sure were an awful lot of people who didn't get it and in fact when they looked at the cross a lot of people in Israel said well we thought he might have been a prophet, we thought he might have been the Messiah but to end up dying like a criminal in shame on a Roman cross that doesn't make sense, that doesn't compute and yet God was doing something powerful the disciples ran and they fled and they hid when Jesus died and yet God was doing something powerful you think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ there wasn't an audience at the tomb, what happened? The Lord raised Jesus from the dead. The stone is rolled away and virtually nobody knew it until the women came up. God does some of His greatest things in secret. God does some of His greatest works when He doesn't have an audience. God does some of His greatest works preparing for something big and something huge but never make the mistake of thinking that God is inactive. God is never inactive. God is... Never behind time. He is always working, always working, always working and lining things up for exactly what needs to happen. So when God puts you in the backside of the desert, even if it's for 40 years, don't ever make the mistake of assuming God is not doing anything. God was doing a great thing in the heart of His servant Moses. And it might be that God is doing, outside of salvation, the greatest thing He has ever done in your life by making you wait. When my dad got off, felt led by the Lord to get off of active duty... And we moved to northeastern Oklahoma to some place called Owasso. Never heard of it. What kind of place is that? My dad struggled for five years. Now, five years is not as long as Moses' struggle. But it's long enough when you're a man like my dad. That went from literally being an officer in the army to loading trucks at a construction site. And he tried to get into some type of ministry for five years. And he would go places, he would make application. He even went on a vacation to Montana where their ministry is scarce there. Met with the Southern Baptist leaders there and told them he would be available to come up there and help out in what they then called pioneer work. And you know what? No one ever called. No one ever asked him to preach. During that five years he preached one time. He worked as a mechanic. He worked... In construction, he did whatever he had to do to support us for five years. What was the purpose of that? Well, I think maybe dad was learning something, but I was really learning something during that five years. You see, it's when we went to Owasso that I learned the doctrines of grace. Amazing. Had a Sunday school teacher, T-U-L-I-P. wrote it all out and started teaching it to us. Never heard that before. It was there in Owasso that for the first time in my life, and I'd been in a lot of churches because we moved a lot of places, a pastor stood up and boldly proclaimed the Word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. I'd never seen that before. And he modeled for me what God has called me to do. It was in that place that I met the man that would later call me to help him out in the ministry. And I got started and was ordained because of that. That's an amazing thing. I'm still doing it now all these years later. It was also when we went to Owasso that I met my wife. Wouldn't have Taylor, Jenny, and Chelsea or any of the grandkids. I can't quite remember their names. There's too many of them. Right? Right? <laughs> I mean, I walk in there and I hear, Big G! You think this grandpa's heart doesn't kind of get young and come alive again with that? And just think, had it not been for those five years of desert for my dad, none of those things would have happened in my life. We could have been anywhere. We could have done anything. We could have moved. We could have, I mean, but that wasn't God's plan. All of that was put together together. And it's interesting, as soon as those things happened, God opened up a ministry position for my dad, and he spent the next 14 years as a prison chaplain. Uh, God knows what he's doing. And I'm sure my dad probably wasn't praying, God, leave me here and let me struggle and let me work for minimum wage as I try to take care of my family. I'm sure he had other things in mind, and God said, just wait, I know what I'm doing. And later on, my dad could see that his time in the desert was for my benefit. Which turned out to be for his benefit. Think about all of that. What is it that you're going through right now? And you go, why isn't God moving? Why isn't he answering my prayer? What's going on? Do I not have enough faith? What's going on? Do I have sin sin in my life? Could it be that God is just saying I'm gonna give you your BSD degree. What's a BSD degree? Backside of the desert degree. Because with every degree Moses had in Egypt, none of that was useful to him until he got his BSD. How long does it take to get a degree? Well, Moses is the world champion here at getting a degree 40 years. He's an 80 year old graduate of the school of hard knocks and finally god is ready to use moses because he's been prepared think about that god was not silent god was not inactive he was working just like he is now secondly i want you to notice something because it says that then it happened that the king of egypt died most scholars think that that is uh, ramses the great pharaoh that Uh, We've all heard about, but this is the next one, the next one that comes along. And that reminds me that God is not confined to your life, my life, an era, a presidency, or anything like that at all. You see, God's work is a transgenerational work. You see God is working an eternal plan not just a plan for your life and my life and our generation and our era. In fact you need to read Hebrews chapter 11 sometimes because God talks about faithful people heroes in the Bible who didn't live long enough to see the promise that God gave. God gave it to another generation. God gave it to succeeding generations. And it could be that Like I told you about my dad, maybe what you're going through is not really so much about you as it is about your kids. As it is about something that he's doing in the lives of your grandchildren. I don't know. It's hard to tell. But it's a transgenerational thing. God's work is not going to die when they bury me. God buries the workman, but the work goes on. Seeds that have been planted even this morning will be bearing fruit long after I'm gone. And the same thing is true for you. You may have taught a Sunday school class and somebody said, How would it go today? Oh, we were down and not much happened. You don't know that. You don't know that. If you were teaching a class of, say, second grade boys and you go, Well, only two of them came today. I don't know. Nothing really happened. Would it maybe matter to you if one of them was an ex-Charles Spurgeon? Oh, well, that'd make a difference. Well, see, the thing is, Charles Spurgeon's Sunday school teachers didn't know he was going to be Charles Spurgeon either. See what I'm saying? And those seeds that were sown came out later on. God's work is a transgenerational work. We're always to be interested in those who were coming after us. When God reveals himself and God talks about this event, he talks about remembering the covenant that he had made Some 400 years earlier to Abraham. Well, there's another name. Isaac, that's the son. And there's another name, Jacob. That's Abraham's grandson. Transgenerational work. And God remembers that 400 years later in the backside of the desert when he's getting ready to set the Hebrews free and take them into the promised land. You see, God is doing much bigger, much greater work than we could ever, ever think about it. Now, thirdly, I want you to notice that it says something in there, and God acknowledged them. Now, they're crying out. Do you suppose that's the first time they ever groaned under their bondage? No, 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 no. But it's the first time that God went into action. Well, did he not care about the other ones? Of course he did. Did he not know? Of course he did. Had he forgotten? When it says he remembered the covenant... Is that an indication that he had forgotten it? No, it just meant that it's time. He put that over here. He set it here. He's working and working and working and working. And then the timing comes and he picks up the covenant. And he says, let's put this in force and everything that I promised Abraham. Remember he told Abraham your descendants are going to be in a foreign land for a long time. But I'm going to bring them out and bring them back. And he said it's time. It's kind of like when grandma puts cookies in the oven. And then she starts vacuuming the floor. And she starts dusting. And then all of a sudden something goes ding. Is it that she forgot about the cookies? Well, I guess it could be. But probably not. It's just that It's time. To go to the oven and take the cookies out. Ah, she opens the oven door. It smells so good. And they're done. And she gets a hot pad, pulls the pan out, sets it over there and lets them cool. And the grandkids can't wait to get a hold of those cookies. Amen? I mean, that's the way it is. What was God doing? Was it that God has Alzheimer's? Is God forgetful? No, He's an all-knowing God. It can't happen. When it says He remembered it here, it's like the timer went off. And God said, now. And he goes into action. And God's people, we can cry, groan, complain, and do all that we want. But let's just be honest. Nothing's going to happen until God acknowledges us. And there are those times when you pray and God says, no. That ought to be the end of it. No. How many times does God have to say no to get it clear? No. And yet we nag him to death and we get discouraged. God's not answering our prayer. Yeah, he did. He answered. He said, no. That's an answer. There are other times when we pray and God says, yes. Don't you like the yeses? He said, yeah, that's a good prayer. That lines up with my will. That lines up with my heart. That was a prayer that was... Uh, brought about initiated by the Holy Spirit it was brought to the Lord Jesus and brought to the Father it lines up with the will of God yes man, it's wonderful when you get those yes uh, answers and the uh, amazing thing is God knew our need before we ever asked it and Psalm 139 says he knows what we're going to say before we ever say it and so it's nice when that all lines up and matches up with His will, His plan, His purpose, and we get a yes. Boy, those are exciting things when that happens. Some of them are, are ordinary things. Give us this day our daily bread. How many of you are going to eat lunch today? Say amen. That's an answered prayer. Right? That's a yes. That's an answered prayer. You got up this morning, you had health to put on your clothes and Come to church, well, that's what you prayed for. God, give us health. He's done that. God's given you that for today. You ought to praise Him for it. You're alive. You're breathing. You're fellowshipping. You're around people that you love and people that love you. And, and uh, it's, it's a great and wonderful thing. That's a yes. But, oh, there's another prayer. There's another answer where God says, in time, wait. In my time, Wait. Not saying no. It's a yes but wait. A yes but wait. And these people are groaning. And after Moses has gone off of the scene in Egypt, after a new Pharaoh comes along, it's gotten worse for them. And they're groaning. And they're complaining. And they're crying. And God hears their cry. He remembers the covenant that he made. The timer has gone off. It's time. It's time. And he acknowledges them. Yes. I'm putting it in motion now. Now when he puts it into motion, it's not like they expected. Not not a single person who felt the lash of the whip was saying, Oh God, bring a shepherd out of the desert for us. Not a person's praying that. Moses is long forgotten and uh, they're thinking of something completely different. Raise up a revolutionary Well, Moses has already tried that, and God said, Nope, you're not going to win the freedom of my people by assassination. It's not going to be by revolution. In fact, we could take what God said later in the Old Testament, Hey, Moses, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. It's as if God is saying, Moses, We don't even have the right Pharaoh in here yet. That Pharaoh has to die. Another pharaoh has to come along. And by the way, this is uh, reminiscent of Daniel chapter 2, verse 21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And that's what he's doing to Moses. Got to make you wise, Moses. Got to give you understanding. You think you've got it, but you don't. I got to teach you. You've got to get your understanding backside of the desert degree you know it's interesting that when we think about this pharaoh this is the one written by paul in romans nine seventeen. listen to this for the scripture says to the pharaoh for this very purpose i have raised you up that i may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth it's that pharaoh Written right in there where God says, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. The right Pharaoh wasn't up yet. The right Pharaoh wasn't in power yet. Sometimes you got to wait till all the pieces come together as God has ordained them to be. Hurry, Lord! God's never in a hurry because He never has to be hurry in a hurry. He doesn't run late. He doesn't scramble at the last minute. He already knows what He's going to do. It's all planned and the timing is planned. And sometimes it seems long and arduous for us, but God's not fretting in heaven, and God is not waiting for you and for me because he controls you and me. Just like this with Moses. It wasn't that Moses, well, Moses, you blew it. Now we can't do our plan. That was never, that's never, the text never indicates anything like that at all. Moses had to be prepared, and it was right on schedule, right on time. So when God acknowledges us and when God says, it's time, you're in the right situation, let's go. You can be assured things will start happening and they'll start happening very quickly. And Moses' life is getting ready at the age of 80. It's been kind of slow and boring and monotonous and long. There was a Baptist preacher one time. His doctor said, you've got cancer, you've got six months to live. Oh, he's shocked. And he said, what do I do? He says, move to a little cabin in Montana and take a little Baptist church. Will that cure me? No, but it'll be the longest six months of your life. Right? (laughs) Moses has had the longest 40 years of his life. And finally, it's time. And with one burning bush... Everything is getting ready to change. Moses is going to have more action now than he ever could have imagined. Moses is going to have more action and interaction with a lot of people than he ever dreamed possible. Moses is going to testify of God Almighty before the most powerful man in the world. And Moses is going to win the argument and take the people out of slavery. And he's probably thinking, yay, my problems are over. You ever read the story of Moses in the wilderness? His own people rose up against him. They constantly complained about him. Oh my goodness, it was the longest. The part in the desert was the longest 40 years of his life. When God acknowledges you, your situation, your prayers, get ready, buckle your seatbelt, things are going to happen. And it could be, folks... That you see a burning bush today or tomorrow. And you look at life and say, oh, if only God, if only God, if only God. Oh, God, why don't you? And we complain. And then maybe you've gotten to the point where you say, what's the point? It doesn't do any good to pray. What's the use? It doesn't do any good to read the Word. God's not doing anything. Don't kid yourself. You might see a bush that's on fire pretty soon. And then everything in your life is getting ready to change. Because this God that we are seeing does his greatest works behind the scenes. This God that we are seeing is not just about you and me and our life and our time. It's a transgenerational, intergenerational work of God. And once God says, it's time, it's time, it's time. And then we look at these things and we find that God's servants, this is really important are really useless to the Lord until they've been prepared by Him. What are you going to do? You're just a toddler. God's not going to give a sharp sword to a toddler. He's not going to give a gun to a five-year-old. He's not going to do anything like that. He's got to let you grow. got to let you learn. And we think we're ready. We think we're so capable. We think that we've got it. Oh, I know what I would do. And then we become like Job trying to advise God. And it might be that what God would whisper into your ear is Job 38. You see, Job, thinking that he had everything kind of figured out, and God says to him sarcastically, Wow, sure wish you had been around when I laid the foundation of the world. I could have used your power. Could have used your reasoning. Man, if only I'd had you to be my advisor when I created the angels when I set the stars in place. Do you hear it kind of dripping with sarcasm there? And it may be that the Lord is whispering Job 38 to you. About the time in your prayer you start telling God, you know it would be a really good thing if you did this and this and this and this and I'm ready for it and ready for action and God just might be whispering in your ear, wow, smart guy, if only I'd had you. We could have really done something, couldn't we, if I'd had you. And you realize over time, God doesn't need you. He only uses you by His grace. He's already got it figured out, and He's got the power to do it. And it's just an amazing thing that He would even want to include you in that. We're to be living sacrifices. Living sacrifice. We're presenting ourselves for death. Lord, kill me, kill my flesh. Kill my dreams, kill my desires and my visions, until they all line up with you. And that's a hard place to get to. But by the time Moses sees the burning bush, he's learned my skills, my weaponry, my ideas and my plans, and don't work so well. I need to hear from God, and God is more than willing, when the time is right, to give the command. To Moses, go set tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Now isn't it interesting, back 40 years earlier, Moses was killing Egyptians and ready to do whatever he had to do. When he's finally ready to do it, he goes, uh, 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 um, Lord, Moses sounded like Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> and he was reticent to do it, wasn't he? Because I think by the time you get prepared God has humbled you so much you see your inability. And the reason God does that is because he wants to show his ability in you. As long as we think we're doing it we'll take the glory for it. But when we realize it was only God then God gets all of the glory, doesn't he? So God's servants are useless until God prepares them, right? And then the last thing that I noticed out of these verses, was he was at Mount Horeb. You know what God had to do? God had to get Moses from Egypt to Midian, and 40 years later to Horeb. Why? Because that's where the burning bush was. God wasn't just going, I got a burning bush, but I don't have a Moses. What do we do? Angels, pick up that burning bush. Ouch. And let's take it over to where Moses is. God doesn't do that that's silly you know what God does? whatever is necessary to get his Moses to the burning bush and everything is ready and everything comes together you know what he's doing to you? he's moving you around putting you in places to prepare you and you say well what if I miss the burning bush? don't worry about that because the burning bush is not your call God isn't calling you to pour lighter fluid on a bush either God isn't calling you to make it happen. God is saying, I've got a burning bush, and any old bush will do when God's in it. And He'll get you at the right time in the right place. And one of these days you'll be like Moses, going through the normal course of your life. And I got a feeling Moses' normal course of life was, oh, stupid sheep. Get over where you belong. Right? Can you imagine? And all of a sudden, he goes, what is that? I've been by here a thousand times. I've never seen that before. Getting a little old. I mean, look a little closer. Am I seeing things? Because a bush on fire probably would not be all that unusual in the desert. But a bush that was still green and wasn't being consumed, now we got something. And that's what we'll be picking up next time when Moses goes before the bush out of nothing but sheer curiosity. See, Moses is not walking around going, there's a burning bush. I think it must be God. He has no idea. It's as he gets close to it, he hears the voice, and it's the voice of God. The Word of God speaks to him. Let me read a verse of Scripture To encourage you. Because I don't know where you are. And where your desert is. Or how long you've been there. But you'll be there long enough. And God's with you. And he knows what he's doing. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 3. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Because God is always, always on time. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has these things written for your admonition as Paul said? Moses went all through this and recorded it because you need it. And to all my fellow desert dwellers, be patient. The vision will come. The time will come. And be on the lookout. There may be a burning bush just around the corner. And life for you may change dramatically. And God will do things that you have never even imagined. Because Ephesians 3.23 says, Now unto him who is able... To do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Why does he do that? So Christ may receive glory in his church, world without end, throughout all generations. And that's what you got to hold on to. Let's pray. Lord, I don't know where people find themselves today. Some people find themselves in a desert of grief. Will it ever end? Will I ever get out of this? Will things ever become normal again? Some people may find themselves in a desert of not knowing what direction to go. It all looks the same. It's just sand. One direction is good as another. Some people may find themselves in a financial desert. When will I ever be able to pay my bills? When will I ever be able to give like I want to give? All kinds of deserts we may find ourselves in. And I pray. I pray, Father, that you would cleanse us of our sin, build up our faith, hear our prayers, deliver us from bondage. And, oh, Lord, if you would call us to a burning bush and let us know, let us know it's time. It's time. And may dreams and callings be fulfilled. May things happen that we never dreamed of. May our lives be fruitful. Thank you, Lord, that you do it when we're ready. As far as we know, Lord, we're ready, but we'll leave that with you, and we'll trust you. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful example that we find in Scripture. Let our hearts be fed by it and called by it. Our souls be nourished by it. And we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.